Welcome back, friend. So you know those times when you go through something and you learn a valuable lesson and you're like, man, I wish I would have known this before I went through that. Well, that's what the last episode, this episode, and the next episode are all about. We just went through a transition, which is a great time to take time and evaluate lessons you've learned. And I looked back over my last decade of pastoring and parenting and was able to draw out so many life lessons that I didn't realize that I had really gleaned from that season and I wanted to share them with you. The last episode, I shared 10 of the 20. Today, I'm going to share five more and next week, I'm going to share five more. I want I want them to be in more bite-sized pieces so these episodes are easier to digest. So let's cue up that intro music and we'll dive in today's goodness. Hi, and you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. Hey, before I jump into the episode, make sure you stay tuned for life hacks at the end because it is a, a daily practice. It costs you nothing. It slows the aging process, it lowers your stress, increases your productivity, and it is one of the easiest things to incorporate into your life. And trust me, you're going to be like, where was this habit all my life? It will make you a happier person, a more productive, um, healthy person. It is great for you. It feeds your brain and causes you to grow more, more brain matter. It's amazing, and it is so ridiculously simple. So make sure you listen all the way to the end, okay? I'm so happy to be with you today. Now, you guys may have listened to the last episode, um, which I hope that you did. And if you did not, then feel free to go back and listen to it after this one. This one, I actually, I I looked back over my notes, and today I was going to highlight 10 lessons I learned, but A, that was kind of a lot for the last episode, and B, I noticed about five of my last ten were kind of abstract and difficult to communicate clearly, so I just decided to scratch those. A lot of them kind of related to each other anyway, so I'm going to go with these other five that are actually nice and clear and simple, and so we can dive right into these. If you enjoy listening to this, um, feel free to share with a friend. Also, what was the thing I was going to mention to you guys? Um, come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen and, oh, don't forget to subscribe. That was the other thing. If you come across my episodes and you don't actually subscribe, feel free, whatever platform you listen in, um, go ahead and subscribe. And if you would, would you leave a review? I haven't asked you guys to do that in a little while, mostly because I don't like to just ask you guys for all kinds of stuff, but, um, it really is helpful if you guys leave reviews or share on, on social media. So if you would consider that would be amazing. Also, I'm going to be guest hosting on a podcast next week. Um, and I'll share that with you guys in, excuse me, in my, on Instagram. I'll keep you guys updated on Instagram. And I also have just made connection with a friend who she is super exciting. She's going to be a guest. She's actually very well known. Um, she's been featured in Vogue magazine. Um, I think it was Vogue or Harper's Bazaar. No, I think it was Harper's Bazaar, um, for Japan. And she's a fashion designer out of New York and she's a believer. And I actually, 
um, met her, came across her reading one of her prophetic words that was featured on the Elijah List website, uh, which is where they post prophetic words for, um, for today that are from today's prophets. And so it's a really great resource to stay in touch with kind of the pulse of what's going on spiritually in the world. And so anyways, but she, one of her words had been featured and I noticed in her bio that it said she was a celebrity stylist and a fashion designer. I was like, what? So I went and looked her up and, um, I messaged her and or actually I emailed her, never heard back, but she started following me on Instagram. So we became friends and we've been in communication for a couple of years now. And, um, she has her own podcast. She's been featured in the 700 club, um, lots of Christian, um, publications and different things. She has her own uh, line of designs and purses. She's amazing purses. She uses a lot of her stuff to give back to sex trafficking victims. She's just a phenomenal woman. Her name is Gina Lamort. And so we have not picked a date yet, but we're working on that. And I'll let you guys know when I have her because I'm very excited to have her. She is, um, her, her mission in life is to help people realize their dreams and fulfill the dreams that God has put in their heart. The Lord's given her a lot of insight about that. So look, look forward to that. But anyways, on to today's, these are five more life lessons that, and leadership lessons that I learned looking back over my last decade of pastoring and parenting. And these are some really practical ones. So we'll dive into these. The first one being, I learned how crucial humility is to our success, that God's definition and men's definition of success are totally different. Now, if you want to dive deeper into humility, I actually did an episode on this maybe a couple of episodes ago. Um, and it was pretty neat to me to discover how humility is, is really, we always think of humility as like wrapped up in how we behave or how we treat others. But even more foundational is humility is about how we depend on God and how we trust the Lord. If I live a life where I'm fully trusting the Lord, then he's able to act on my behalf and he's able to move and arrange the things in my life that will set me up for success and I don't have to do it myself. And so there's not the need for all kinds of self-promotion and stuff. Um, and of course, there is the there is a part of, especially if you're in business or whatever, marketing and blah, blah, blah. But there's nothing replaces the favor of God on your life. And um, briefly, I'll explain because that episode, I really go into it. But I was talking with my boys about pride and humility and how God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And when we're opposed by somebody, that means there's resistance, there's closed doors. It's kind of like a stiff arm, a resistance, a um, not quite a rejection. God never rejects us, but but there's not a grace and an, and an ebb and a flow to life in the same way as when God's grace and favor is on you. When God's grace and favor is on you, Man, open doors fly open in front of you and opportunities are in front of you and connections are made and relationships are there and favor is there. It's phenomenal. And so um, there's just uh, humility is so powerful and nothing replaces the benefits of walking in humility. And I feel like the greatest benefit of walking in humility is experiencing a walk with the Lord in a relationship with him that has no barriers. And walking in humility... It just, um, there's just such a sweetness to your time with the Lord. And I've experienced times when I didn't realize that I was walking in pride or I was not trusting the Lord. Um, 
there was a barrier in my relationship with him. It was harder to hear his voice. It was harder to connect with him. But then when he brings to my attention or I even ask him like, God, what is in the way? And he brings these things to my attention and I can remove either lies in my thinking or wrong beliefs about God or or where fear is driving my behavior instead of trusting him. And I can get those out of the way. Suddenly, I step into humility and immediately I can just sense his presence and his nearness because God gives grace to the humble. He draws nearer to the humble. Um, but to the to the proud, he can't and he won't. And so anyways, and again, that's not to say that God doesn't love you or that he rejects you if we walk in pride. That's not the issue. It's just pride creates a barrier because our hearts are lifted up. You know what I mean? It's 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 almost like we're walking in disrespect towards God. You know, it creates a barrier between us and him. And so he wants that out of the way. He wants us to walk in humility so that there's no barriers between us and him. Okay? So that's the first one. And honestly, our definitions of success are are different. God's definition of success is how well did you learn to love? How faithful were you with the small things? How obedient were you to my spirit? Were you led by the Holy Spirit? Um, did you walk in truth? Uh, did you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Did you love your neighbor as yourself? Those are God's definitions of success. Humans, our definition is how many people were in that crowd that you got to speak to? How many awards have you won? How much money do you make? How many homes do you own? That's how people gauge success. And the truth is, like, the true riches of life is people. The true riches of life is the, is the, is the way we love people and the impact that we, that we leave on people's souls and people's lives. And, and ultimately... God desires that we would love people. And so his measure of success is different than ours. But if we walk in humility, we can achieve God's definition of success. And honestly, when it all is said and done, and this has been important to me since I was a kid, I'm going to stand before God one day and he's not going to care about how many homes I owned, how much money I made, or how many books I wrote. He's going to care about how I loved people. He's going to care about how carefully I took care of my children. He's going to care about, did I stop for that person that he put in my path that day when I was busy? Did I rush by? He's, he's going to care, did I stop for the one right in front of me? That's what he's going to ask me about, and I'm going to have no crutches to lean on. Nothing. Just, just me and him and, and how I stewarded this life that I live. And my most important concern is I want to stand before the Lord and him say that I was faithful. And that's a daily pursuit. It's a lifelong pursuit. We never quite have it in the bag. <laughs> We've always got to be, um, you know, laying down our life and continuing to, to seek him and, and love him with all of me. And so I feel like that's the true measure of success and humility is the key to that. If I'm not walking in humility, I'm going to miss the things that God is setting in front of me and I'm going to value things that he doesn't value and I will not value the things he does. And so that's the first lesson right there is humility is crucial. Humility, which is a core of trusting God, trusting him to work in my life, trusting him to reward and honor the prices I've paid, trusting him to see the things that no one else sees. Humility is the key to success. Favor of God on my life, nothing can replace that. Um, all right, so the second thing is 
putting the work in to understand people. This is huge. What we can translate as wrong in a situation, for example, may simply be a different way of viewing the situation or the process. So people have different perspectives. So when I'm dealing with people, I have come to learn how important it is and it is a constant, something I have to be constantly mindful of and challenging myself in. Especially like with my kids, right? Because with our kids, it's the easiest to kind of let our guards down and just be, be lazy about our leadership. But I find that it's so important that I relate to people with understanding. Understanding says, I'm not going to judge the situation until I've heard your perspective. And I'm going to try to look at it through your shoes, through your eyes, and make a decision from there. And understanding is really huge. Basically, I think what it does is it it breaks shame off of situations. So let's say, let's say my son makes a mistake. Let's say he um, is making dinner and he burns all of the dinner. On the onset, I might be really irritated. I might be like, man, that's that was going to be our dinner. Now what are we going to eat? And I could get really frustrated over it. But if I stop and I ask what happened and he's like, well, let's say he, (laughs) let's say he reversed the time and the temperature on the oven. And you know, it was supposed to be 300 minutes at 450 and he did 450 minutes at 300, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Um, that's a long time for the oven actually. Uh, (laughs) and let's say he reversed it somehow and it was a, it was a mistake. An understanding response would be for me to swallow my frustration and see it through his eyes and his disappointment and be able to say, Oh man, I can, I can understand if I reversed those, I would mess that up too. I'm so sorry, buddy. Let's let's come up with another solution. To meet him with understanding frees him from the shame and the weight of his mistake. Whereas if I was instead to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. Now what are we going to eat for dinner and blah, blah, blah. And I heap the weight of his mistake on top of him. What does that do to our relationship? What does that do for, to my influence in his life, right? It causes him to feel like I don't see him. I don't hear him. I don't understand him. I don't get him. I don't value him. It sends all these messages that are in direct opposition to what his heart needs. And it puts shame and um, shame and just a weight on top of him that he doesn't deserve, right? But when I instead can meet him with understanding, look at it through his eyes, even though I may be swallowing my emotion, I may be swallowing my frustration, right? If I can meet him with understanding... It's literally like I'm covering over his mistake with love. Kind of like the Bible says that love covers over a multitude of sins. When we're walking in love, we will walk in grace that allows us to cover the shame of people's mistakes. And that's what understanding does. I think that's why understanding is so huge because it tells the person in front of us, I still know your heart is good. I get I get that that was a mistake. Instead of, you must be awful because that was a terrible thing to do. When we, when we make accusations like that, what we're doing is sending a message to a person that something is wrong with them rather than something being wrong with the decision that was made or the situation. And so what understanding does with people is understanding protects their heart 
and it protects our relationship. The Bible talks about in marriage the importance of a husband to treat a woman with understanding. And I think that's because women's hearts are so very delicate. But I have found even with a house full of boys, understanding is still very important because in the heart of every person is it is a core desire to be virtuous, to be noble, to be admirable, right? To be of courage and, and someone that people can admire. And so we all feel greatness inside of our hearts. But when we make mistakes and we're we're coming face to face with our own fragility, depending on how people respond can make us, can build our, even our own relationship with our own sense of failure and success and with what our heart is. And when we meet people with understanding, it really protects them and their heart from the unnecessary weight and discouragement of failure. And it tells them, hey, you're still awesome. You're still awesome and I still believe in you. So understanding is huge. My dad was really great about that and I'm so thankful. In in my home growing up, I asked my dad as an adult, I was like, what was your priority in raising us? Because you guys really did an amazing job. Like I remember feeling safe. I felt like my voice mattered. I felt like I was respected even though I knew I could never back talk or disobey or whatever. And my dad said it was actually really important to him that in our home, that he, that we would grow up in an understanding home, that we would feel understood. And, you know, he had three girls, so that was a good goal. <laughs> um, and I feel like he did that. And one way that he accomplished that is when we would share our feelings, he wouldn't get defensive or angry. He would just listen and he would, he would validate, you know, he'd be like, hmm, no, I can see how you'd feel like that. Like he just, so it was like very common in my home for us to share our feelings, even if they were kind of ugly, not at each other, but if our feelings were kind of messy and we just, the environment of our home was that you respected people's feelings and you didn't have a right to get upset at their feelings because that was their feelings and they have a right to have whatever their feelings are. And you're to meet them with understanding because that's what love does. And so I have come to see how the longer I've been a leader and the older I've gotten, the more people I've interacted with, I value more and more and more the home I grew up in because that was such an unusual climate. I know that not many people actually grew up in an environment like that. And I'm so grateful. But it has also made me realize as growing as a leader, when I've been in environments that were not rooted in understanding or relationships where understanding was not a foundational quality, um, I have come to realize just how important that is. I see the effects on the people. I see the effects on myself and, um, you know, just paying attention to how I have felt in those moments and, and watching how other people respond. I see how understanding is one of the greatest ways to break shame and regret off of people and off of situations. It pres- it really protects their heart. It's a way of covering over sin with love. And so understanding is really huge as a leader. And the best way to achieve that is to put yourself in the other person's shoes and do your best to look at the situation from their perspective. Most people are not trying to act like the devil. Most situations that come up that are problematic are really due to mistakes or misunderstandings. And so it's important that we can listen um, with an open mind and an open heart to 
understand where people are coming from and then find a way to meet in the middle in the middle and communicate respectfully so that's a huge one as a leader um third point is that differences makes us better there's a passage in the new testament that says that it is the spirit who gave different gifts to different people for different purposes and I love how in that in that one passage, I need to look it up, but in that one passage, there's like the word different is used three or four times. And it's all connected to God's ideas. And like, because God's the one who gave all the gifts to all the people and he made all the people, you know, and so like different is his idea. And I love how different is important. Differences in a group, differences among people. A lot of times in society, we can treat differences like a problem or like a threat or like something to be intimidated of. But I find that differences actually enrich us. Uh, we have, we've, I've, I've served when we've had a staff underneath us before. And I found that at staff meetings, our group was so enriched by the dynamic of that, that everyone looks at the situation with a different perspective and when we could pull everyone in to look at the situation, we could see more clearly. We could avoid problems that maybe my perspective wouldn't have seen, but someone else does. Um, we can see angles and needs that one or two people might not have seen. But when you pull in a diversity of perspectives, then we can suddenly see all the knees and plug plug all the holes and we actually had more success because we were able to lean into everyone's differences and everyone's giftings it does require that we have an attitude of respect and appreciation towards people's differences i will never understand racism i will never understand it it is so um undermining to a society to be racist or sexist or anything like that because to treat anyone who's different than you as less than you well that's just building society on pride and fear and that's destructive and so being different whether it's your color your background your social status um, your country your nationality whatever it is different actually enriches us it brings an abundance of perspectives that can actually help us be better and as a leader like with my kids for example I have four boys, right? Many of you probably have multiple kids. And how many of you would agree that all of your kids are very different, right? <laughs> My kids are all very different. All four of their personalities, they're all four different Enneagram types. They're all four different, you know, Myers-Briggs types in the, the choleric, sanguine, all of that. They're all different. And their core needs are different. They're like, from a psychology standpoint, they're completely different. Their spiritual giftings are unique, all this stuff. And I really love it because I feel like it makes our family more full. Because where one, like my son Levi, is very hospitable. He loves to cook. If we have guests over, he's going to make sure everyone's fed. Whereas Judah is the peacemaker. And he is really good about making people feel comfortable. And then Shiloh is the fun one. And he's really good at making sure that people are not bored, but they're going to have a great time. And Benjamin um, is not afraid to take charge. And so if everyone doesn't know what to do, Benjamin will make a plan and he will execute it. <laughs> and so when you put all four of them together, 
I can actually step back and I can enjoy watching my boys move in their different giftings and they all complement each other and it can all work together. And so I really try to create an atmosphere as a leader where I am honoring and looking for their differences so that I can appreciate and value them because God in his wisdom put us together and he, he wired us the way he wired us and our differences make us better. My two youngest sons are totally different. My third son is very organized, very meticulous. My fourth son is the opposite. He's very disorganized and very creative and very abstract. And <laughs> they constantly have conflict with each other over the bedroom. The older one wants it to constantly be clean. The younger one wants to live in chaos. And he loves it. And he's he constantly feels pestered by his big brother to clean up his stuff and and it seems like it's a grief to him and so I'm teaching the older one how to be gracious and how to be helpful and teaching the younger one how to be courteous the fact that his brother has to share a room with him and he needs to be courteous and not leave a mess and so I realized that God put them together in this room with these two opposing personalities because they're actually sharpening each other for their future the fact that they're different is actually enriching who they are. And kind of like marriage, right? We, <laughs> we rub each other so wrong, but we actually enrich each other in that way. So differences make people better. It can cause conflict, of course, but as a leader, it's your job to look through that conflict and as a parent, as a leader, look through that conflict and find the good that is being accomplished through it and how we can honor and value everyone's differences and uniqueness that they bring to the table and that is a huge huge um good quality as a leader to be able to recognize differences and appreciate them the fourth one is that feedback is essential um andy stanley and his leadership style is huge on feedback and i really really agree with him i have worked in environments where feedback was not hardly ever asked for and it caused some frustrations and some difficulties in that in an organization or in a family, in any group of people, feedback is going to need to happen because I do not have a direct line to all the information of all the things happening all the time. My sons are going to have experiences with each other that I don't see because I'm not all places at all times, right? And so I'm going to need my sons to give me feedback about certain things. Maybe one son is in the garage and realizes something is broken or one son is playing in the backyard and I may not be going there and the hose was left running all night, you know, or whatever. I'm going to need that feedback because I need to know what's going on. Same in the workplace. Um, if you don't create an outlet for feedback, if you don't constantly, regularly, as a leader, ask for feedback you are going to be limited by your limited perspective and you're actually cutting yourself off at the knees. We have to regularly ask for feedback. I love getting feedback on my podcast because the whole point of my podcast is to serve my listeners. Well, if the listeners are not connecting with my content, I need to know that. 
Or if they are connecting with something I'm putting out there and they want more of it, I need to know that, right? So feedback is huge. It also, the other benefit of of creating an environment of feedback is that it causes people to feel like they have a voice into the larger group. So in my family, letting my boys weigh in on things like what we're going to eat for dinner, what are we going to do for family night, or... Bedtime feels like it's way too early now that I'm in high school. Can we please change bedtime? (laughs) You know, things like that. And allowing their voice to carry some weight in our decisions actually makes them feel like their voice matters, actually makes them feel like they can make a difference. And so creating and and nurturing a culture and environment of feedback is huge. Also, if you're a leader, the people under your leadership are the ones who are kind of like your eyes and ears within your corporation, whether that's a family, a church, a business, whatever. You need what they're picking up. You need that information because it's going to give you a more holistic perspective of what is going on. Um, I've worked for leaders before who they did not value employee feedback. And as a result... Our, our organization walked with a limp. There was really glaring, broken places in our system that people would come to me or come to my husband and or come to each other and cry about because it was actually really, really painful, broken places. But because there was no outlet of feedback, we couldn't even offer that to our leadership. So it's like we were all watching as our leadership was walking with a limp, our corporation was walking with a limp, and we literally felt like we had no ability to impact change because there was no outlet for feedback. Whereas I worked for Stitch Fix where they are a company very much built on feedback and based on our our employee feedback, they were constantly evolving and changing the computer programs we worked with, the way that we interacted with customers, the way that we, um, our employee satisfaction and rewards that they'd put in place or like incentives they'd put in place for, for stylists. And so in that environment, it actually kept the morale really high because people felt like my voice matters here. I get to impact change. This is awesome. And when you keep morale high and people feel like they're making a difference within the larger, um, the larger picture, well, they're going to feel more valuable. And so feedback is super essential. You only see a fraction of the puzzle. You need the feedback of the people that work with you and work around you as a leader. Feedback matters. Um, And lastly, I would say as a leader, don't forget to celebrate the wins. Sometimes in our society, Certain circles, certain places, we can over-celebrate wins and celebrate stuff that's so small. But to be honest, I'd rather err on the side, and maybe this is a sanguine in me, but I'd rather err on the side of celebrating wins than overlooking them. Because people work hard to succeed, and when they succeed and it's not celebrated, it actually is really demotivating. And it's important with kids to celebrate their wins. It's important with employees to celebrate their wins. It's important with my husband to celebrate his wins. I remember when he um, completed his master's degree, we were sitting in the living room. It was like 11 o'clock at night. He had his laptop on his lap. He closes his laptop and he goes, well, I just completed my master's degree. 
And I was like, what? And, and I was like, are we going to have a party? He was like, nah, I got it done. And I was like, oh no, I don't think so. And so I threw together a little party, had people come over and we celebrated his victory. It's important to celebrate those things. It adds a sense of richness, accomplishment, and purpose to all that effort. And so whether that's your kids who are homeschooled now because of COVID and getting their work done each day, um, when that was the case, what I did is I would motivate them with M&Ms. And I'd be like, okay, when you get all your work done for the day, you can have this little cup full of M&Ms. It was like a little you know, medicine cup. It was small. But they were very excited, and they never let me forget. And that little shot of celebration was enough to keep them motivated and it kept the morale high. And that little tiny thing really kept them from dragging through their work and made all the difference of them staying motivated and fired up to get stuff done. It was awesome. Or whether it's your employees and celebrating their faithfulness and diligence on the job. I feel like the people who are quiet but show up every day, show up on time, get their job done, take initiative, they should be celebrated on a regular basis. They should be celebrated because those qualities are rare and valuable. And so celebrate the wins. If you personally have been working towards a goal, when you achieve that goal, you need to take a minute and celebrate it. In the Bible, Jesus, um, the Jewish culture, they had seven festivals a year. And their festivals lasted anywhere from five days to two weeks. They they would celebrate and party. And so we even see the example in scripture that God is like, hey, we're going to celebrate because there is a lot to be thrilled about. And so I feel like if you don't have a culture in your home or in your company that celebrates and just finds a reason to celebrate, then consider incorporating that because it is huge in boosting morale and bringing motivation. So in summary, Looking back over those five principles, one, humility is a key to your success because God's favor and blessing and grace on your life will open doors and create opportunities that nothing else can and that can only come through humility. But remember, his success is different than ours. His success is how faithful were you? How well did you learn to love people? Did you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Did you love your neighbor? That is God's definition of success, and humility loves to pursue those things. Pride does not, but humility is the key to success with God, and honestly, success with people. Second one, put the work into understanding people. Remember, understanding breaks off the pressure of shame and guilt, and it gives people room to breathe and learn And to continue to believe in themselves. Understanding creates a safe environment for people to grow and flourish. Pursue understanding by looking at a situation from the other perspective and believing the best about people's hearts. Um, Third is differences make us better. Remember, you only have one angle, one set of gifts, one perspective. You need the gifts, the strengths, the qualities, the unique perspective of the people around you. Different makes us richer. Fourth, feedback is essential. You need to create an environment and a climate of feedback. This causes people to feel like they have a voice, causes people to feel valuable in the environment. It also causes problems that you don't know exist to be able to be handled. 
and it, it allows you to function more holistically healthy as a company, as a family. Feedback really matters. And lastly, celebrate the wins. People need to be celebrated. Work needs to be celebrated. We need to take the time to laugh and play and have a good time and just celebrate the things God has done, the things people have done. You have the right to have a party. Every so often, have a party. It is just worth it, keeps people motivated, and it is a reward to our souls. So I hope these five leadership principles were of value to you. Um, Don't go anywhere because life hack today is about, it is a little practice that will slow down the aging process and give you so much life. And so stay tuned for the life hack. Otherwise, thanks for joining me today and I'll see you guys in next week's episode. Catch you later. Okay, so today's life hack is one that actually is going to help slow the aging process and it costs you nothing except five minutes a day. Interested? Yes, so am I. Um, So I actually am really fascinated with neuroscience and I, the Lord has actually really been speaking in my heart about that passage that says in quietness and rest is your salvation and in trust and something, something is your something. I don't, I actually need to look up the rest of the verse, but the first half of the verse is about quietness and rest. And, um, I was thinking about that and I was like, why is this so much on my heart? And then I found out that the Hebrew new year is about quietness as well to some measure. And so I was like, Hmm. Anyways, so in talking to a friend of mine who was a a psychologist, she was telling me, so I went and did some research just now, and did you know that just taking 5 to 12 minutes a day of sitting and being quiet and focusing on something very simple like your breathing or sitting on the back porch and listening to the wind rustle the leaves or sitting outside and just listening to the birds chirp or sometimes if I'm driving down a long quiet highway I'll put my windows down and I'll just listen to the wind outside and I'll just smell nature so doing anything like that and intentionally quieting your brain I don't know if you're like me but I realized this recently that when I wake up my brain can have like basically two states it's either quiet in my mind or I'm talking in my mind just like the physical world, right? And so I can be talking out loud in my mind or I can be quiet in my mind. And that state of being quiet and calming your own voice, even in your own mind, this is where you get into what psychologists reference as a meditative state, which is not voodoo. That's just the word meditate. Actually, scripture uses it as well to meditate on the word of God. means to just get still and think very simply, very quietly, very gently on one topic or one subject or one focal one focal point. So when you do that, what they what doctors and scientists are finding is that 5 to 12 minutes a day of quieting yourself and just savoring the moment, being fully present and not being distracted in your thoughts, it actually causes kind of like a muscle what you're doing is that actually exercises a part of your brain and as you exercise that just like building muscles the more you use it the denser and stronger it gets 
well, that part of your brain gets denser and stronger as well. And the beautiful thing is it's actually the lower part of your brain or the, the lower part of your brainstem or the, the upper part of your brainstem, I'm sorry, right where your brain meets your brainstem. Um, back there, that regulates, uh, oh my goodness, respiratory function, which is how you breathe, circulatory, which is how the blood flows through your body, um, a number of other functions that I was reading. Uh, let's see. Meditative causes uh, gray matter to grow. Where is that picture? Anyways, those functions um, all protect your aging process. And so when you're doing that, you're actually like over time as people get older and they don't exercise their brain or exercise their muscles, they slowly begin to deteriorate. So if you want to keep your brain um, and your youth vibrant, one great way to do it is to have quiet meditative spaces built into your day so when you're driving home from work is a great time to do it don't turn on yes turn on a podcast after you've done this because you want to catch up on your latest java with jen episode but give yourself the first five minutes in the car don't think about work don't think about the kids don't think about anything just turn off the radio and breathe deep and concentrate on your breathing Jet, well, watch the road, but you know what I mean? Like get quiet, quiet yourself internally. What this does is it actually causes a dilation of your um, blood veins, which lowers your blood pressure. It lowers your stress hormones and relieve, and releases um, happy hormones in your body. And by doing that, by fighting stress in your body, it actually slows the aging process because stress um, promotes aging. And so this is how you can fight aging, both by lowering stress, which causes aging in the body. So by lowering stress, you're preventing aging in the body. But then by exercising this, this meditative quiet space in your brain, you're actually strengthening your brain and building and protecting gray matter, which is brain matter and the ability for your brain to function. You're protecting all of that. So you're not only protecting your body, you're protecting the health of your brain as well. And so all of that just from five minutes of quiet. And y'all, I think we don't realize when we have all these um, devices in front of our faces all the time and people talking and noise and this and that, I don't think we realize how much noise is constantly going in. Even they say even uh, a cell phone going off is enough to cause a person's blood pressure to go up, especially if it, you know, if your phone represents stressful situations or, you know, having to manage things at work or whatever. And so when we have those kind of stimulants around us all the time, it those little stimulants are triggers that release stress stress hormones and stress chemicals in our body on a regular basis. So even by taking five to 12 minutes or five minutes at multiple times throughout your day, you are actually going to be slowing the aging process, slowing the stress impact on your body, building matter in your brain so that your brain is stronger and healthier longer. And it causes you to be happier because it causes peace and calm to settle into your system. So five minutes a day. Look at that. Your life hack today is literally, I just added years to your life. You're so welcome. So to do that five minutes a day. And what I find is times when I'm quiet like that, 
is actually when I find the Lord speaking to me as well. He speaks in the quiet. He's a whisper. You know what I mean? His voice is a whisper. So if you're wanting to hear God's voice more, this is a great practice just to quiet yourself and get your own inner voice out of the way to make room to hear when God is speaking to your spirit. So there is your life hack. It's a little longer than normal, but I thought it was worth it. So let me know if you guys do this. Send me a message and let me know what differences you notice or what impact it's had on your your inner life. So, all right, love you guys. Catch you next week for the last five crucial life lessons I learned from looking back over this last decade of pastoring and parenting. Love y'all. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. Reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say hey. It's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon, or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Thank you to each of you for your ongoing support. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Until next time, remember, you've got this and God's got you.